Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly and my guest today is co-host of the Lantern Cast, a podcast dedicated to DC's Green Lantern comics. Please welcome Mr. Mark Marble. How are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. I know we've talked about this for a while, so this is hopefully the, this will be worth the wait. <laughs> on my end, I mean, I don't want to disappoint. I, I make no promises, but let's hope so. <laughs> I make no guarantees either. <laughs> great, great. Um, back in December, you and Chad had me on the Lantern cast to review The Force Awakens. We were all very favorable to the film at the time. Uh, has your review changed at all since then? My review has not changed. It was again must be a tremor in the forest. We must be in sync today, just because I was just thinking over the yesterday. I think in prepping for our conversation today about the fact that I haven't seen this since December. So like three times in December, but I haven't seen it yet. So I was kind of wondering myself if when I do see the Blu-ray, if my opinion is going to change or if I'm going to rank the movie differently. And but considering where I ranked it, I really don't. It can't really change all that much because I I think I had it. I saw it Empire and Star Wars as one and two. And this was like neck and neck with Sith, so mm-hmm. it's really it really can't go up or down much based on you know how I how I view it. I, I think it's probably going to stay about the same. Well, that was the next thing that I was going to mention was that if you're not sure if you think your opinion might change, you will have the chance to see the movie as often as you want because the Force Awakens will be released at the beginning of April. Uh, but before we talk any more about that movie, let's backtrack a little bit. How and when did you become a Star Wars fan? Sadly, I am old enough to be in the kind of like the crosshairs of the Star Wars generation. I was, I must have just been eight, give or take, give or a couple of months when the original Star Wars came out in 77. So I became Star Wars fan right off the bat. Probably the biggest pop cultural impact or influence on my life, I would say, has been consistently Star Wars. Green Lantern kind of started working its way in probably in the, in the 90s, but I always have a weakness for Star Wars. It's kind of It kind of ebbs and flows, obviously, after the quiet period after Sith. It kind of faded more back into the background, which was kind of right at the time Green Lantern kind of get hot, got super hot, <laughs> so it kind of worked out. But I've always been into Star Wars, always will be. Uh, I was on the ground floor of the expanded universe. So luckily for me, I got out of it long before you know, we got into the, the latter stages of the when you're like 40 years post Yavin or whatever. So, so I, don't, I didn't have the venom that a lot of people had or the disappointment when you know, realizing the whole expanded universe or I mean, the majority of it, pretty much everything after Jedi was going to be jettisoned for the most part. So, but yeah, I read a lot. they did reach a point of diminishing returns with their expanded universe books. Thing. Yeah, as you and I may have talked about before, I think th- to me there are a lot of interesting things that were in the expanded universe and some of them had nothing to do with stuff that happened after Ye- after either after Yavin or after Jedi after Endor because I still think the Darth Bane trilogy was really really good and it's one of the best things I've ever written I've ever read that has been written in the Star Wars expanded universe era and luckily all that stuff really can survive because there's no reason at the moment anyway that it's not canon because nothing contradicts it yeah the prequel movies left such a bad taste in my mouth that I didn't want to explore much of the expanded universe literature set before the classic trilogy uh, with the exception of the original Dark Horse comics like the Tales of the Jedi era. Um, Those I was a big fan of because it was the first time seeing anything like that. Uh, And they were so distant that they didn't have you know the the taint of whatever <laughs> the Phantom Menace and Attack the Clones were, but, but I would definitely recommend the Darth Bane stuff. I've heard I've heard other yeah. people recommend those. It's, it's, re- like it's really especially since your main character is really a bad guy, really, and it's somebody mm-hmm. who you shouldn't be rooting for. But because his backstory is so interesting, and in that he essentially. Well, hopefully this will turn out to be the case for Luke because now we've seen it hasn't quite panned out that way. <laughs> but he kind of was, in my mind, he's kind of like the Sith's Luke because he's the last of the old and the first of the new. Mm. Because, he's, because he's the last of the old Sith and because he created the rule of two, he kind of set them on the path for Palpatine's eventual victory. So it's just a very interesting character as a whole. But 
Uh, okay, listeners, it's time for Star Wars Current Events. This is the part of the show where my guest and I talk about something new in the realm of Star Wars movies, comics, books, or theme parks. Usually, I give a spoiler warning at the beginning of this subject. I don't really feel like I need to do that this time, since Mark and I won't be talking about the new movies, but rather the upcoming release of The Force Awakens on digital and Blu-ray disc. However, if that doesn't interest you and you want to skip this section for some other reason, just jump ahead to the next segment. The start times are listed on the show notes for this episode. Okay, as I already mentioned, Star Wars The Force Awakens is coming to Blu-ray and DVD soon. It's supposed to be released on April 5th. I assume it'll also be available on VHS tape and Betamax. I mean, they're not, <laughs> not going to neglect Laser that disc. market. <laughs> LaserDisc. <laughs> but you'll be able to view it as early as April 1st if you buy it digitally. I've already pre-ordered my digital copy, unless it's some elaborate April Fool's Day joke. So, Mark, are you going to get it when it comes out, and how? I'm going to order the Blu-ray. I'm probably not going to worry about ordering it digitally just so I can have it in advance, I think. I haven't ordered it yet. It's kind of like floating around in my saved cart for Amazon. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like Creed was sitting there for a while. It's like <laughs> just pulled the trigger on it right before it was about to come out. So, yeah, I'll order it. I'll make sure it, uh, I have it when it begins. I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, I haven't seen the movie you know, in about – it'll be close to like four months or so by the time it comes out. So I will be interested to see how I react to it if my opinion changes. And it's one of the things we'll be talking about later, too, mm-hmm. in detail, whether like, when you can slow things down, especially like with Ray and everything during the vision to see if see if you get any more information or it has any more impact on you, you know, so. Yeah, of course. Um, Disney finally released officially the list of bonus features included with this version of The Force Awakens. There will probably be other versions to come along. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, in, in fact, I'm waiting for the R-rated director's cut because <laughs> it seems like that's going to come out with every movie now. And it'll just be like five extra minutes of Han, like, bit slapping Chewie. <laughs> I think I think we actually get the flashback of how Kylo Ren was conceived. <laughs> <laughs> Angry sex, that's what did it. <laughs> uh, okay, so <laughs> back to what are the actual features that include the ones that are listed. Secrets of the Force Awakens, a cinematic journey. This is a nearly 70-minute long making of documentary. So over an hour, got to be pretty comprehensive. The Story Awakens, the table read. This is about four minutes long, just four minutes of the first table read of the script. Uh, Crafting Creatures, which is a nine and a half minute long feature about obviously more of the, um, the practical effects, the creatures and aliens. A feature on building BB-8, which is about six minutes long. Blueprint of a Battle, a seven minute featurette on the snow fight. I'm assuming it's the lightsaber duel in the snow. I would, too. ILM, the visual magic of the Force, eight minutes probably on the computer-generated effects. John Williams, the Seventh Symphony, feature on the music. And a three-minute spot on Force for Change. There's also going to be six deleted scenes. Uh, One is Finn and the Villager. Another is called Jakku Message. Another is called X-Wings Prepare for Light Speed. Uh, One is called Kylo Searches the Falcon. One is Snowspeeder Chase, and the last one is Finn Will Be Fine. Now, six deleted scenes, each one of them is under a minute long, so probably not going to be very detailed. Um, I know the reference to the, the scene with Kylo searching the Falcon. Yes. That's when he senses that the Han Solo is on the Starkiller base. And they've actually shown like photos and everything of Kylo Ren and some snowtroopers inside the Millennium Falcon. They go and search it when they find it. Um, and then Snowspeeder Chase, that's a sequence when Finn and Rey uh, basically steal a Snowspeeder, uh, an, an Imperial one. So it's a different model now. It's, I mean, you can see there's a toy of it. There's a Lego version of it. And they have some sort of chase with snowtroopers when they're going to one of the other buildings on the Starkiller base, I guess. Um Finn will be fine. It's the last one. I'm assuming there's some sort of sequence when Ray is leaving and he's still in in a coma. Maybe we see him in a Bacta tank or something. Yeah, it's got to be. It just has to be a little more elaboration on what we saw, or a little more dialogue or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for 23 seconds, it can't be anything spectacular. Right. Plus, it's not like it's necessarily 23 seconds of new material. It's the whole scene is 23 seconds, which means it could be old stuff and maybe like five seconds or six seconds of new stuff added on too. True. True. Uh, Finn and the Villager, I'm assuming something when he gets to the outpost, 
Um, it doesn't say Constable Zuvio, but maybe it's Constable Zuvio's scene. <laughs> uh, the Jakku message, do you think that's Poe telling the Resistance that he's still alive or somehow... It could be. It's 47 seconds, so that that's the longest one, mm-hmm. or, uh, besides the snowspeeder chase. Yeah. Uh, so that's got to be fairly significant. It could be. They could just receive a message from the planet. They don't. Maybe maybe we don't necessarily know who sent it, but they just received. I don't know. It, that's, I'm kind of. But I, it, you're probably dead on. It probably has. It probably has to do with Poe, especially because you would think they're going in. It looks like they're going in chronological order in the movie, the way they list the scenes. So that would mm-hmm. have to be early on. So. Mm-hmm. Or the next one, X-wings prepare for light speed. Might be when. Uh, he's leading the squadron to the planet that Maz Kanata is on. Could be. Um, yeah, I mean, we know sort of from the stories from the leaks that there was a sequence they were supposed to explore how he gets off the planet, but maybe they didn't film that much of it, or maybe they're saving it for another version. Uh, what I noticed was we don't see anything about the New Republic homeworld. Nope, none of that stuff and, that we talked about that was in the book. The book yeah, about there, there was Leia's, a whole sequence yeah. of Leia sending her emissary to basically plead their case and try and get more of a military effort against the First Order. None of that is included in this sequence, so interesting. It is interesting. It doesn't look like on the surface that the bonus scenes, the deleted scenes, are going to be anything special. Probably the highlight would be the cinematic journey since it's almost 70 minutes, so that should be pretty cool. I like those things, the documentaries, things that are, you know, if it's like an hour, you know it's pretty good. Anything mm-hmm. like you get like, you know, eight minutes, ten minutes, and then you kind of want, I mean, unless it's a bunch of a series of featurettes, then it's okay. But if, it, that's, if that's your main center point or like your, your making of is only like 10, 15 minutes, that's like, that's like one of those HBO first look things. <laughs> mm. Based on the behind the scenes reel that they showed at Comic-Con, I mean, if that's any indication of the sort of production that they'll give us in their behind-the-scenes thing, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that because that got me super excited, you know, six months before the movie was out. Yeah, it so. should be cool. Okay, uh, moving on past that, we've got one more bonus feature for Star Wars current events, folks. Uh, Mark, are you following any of the Star Wars comics published by Marvel right now? The only one I have been reading so far is, is Obi-Wan and Anakin. Okay, how is it? Actually, I, li- I like it so far, except for the fact that they make An- – not that this is really out of character, so it shouldn't be shocking. But they make Anakin kind of like really, really whiny, and they make it seem like he's he's barely been in training, and he's already thinking about getting out of the Jedi Order. So it's not like he's, it's not like he's waiting for his hormones to kick in when he sees Padme again. It's like he's already he's, – the, the seeds are already being sown about he's not entirely thrilled with being in the Order. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with that approach, but – but as far as seeing the interaction between Obi-Wan and Anakin so far in the first few issues, I do like it. We talked about this beforehand, but Marvel just announced that they are planning to do a Han Solo miniseries. Uh, they've already done miniseries for Princess Leia, Lando, and Chewbacca. You're reading the current one with Obi-Wan and Anakin, and now they're doing a Han Solo series. The story is supposed to be set after the first Star Wars film, and it involves Han and Chewie running a mission for the Rebellion that involves them taking part in a starship race. The series is being written by Marjorie Liu, who says the story is inspired by the movie Cannonball Run. (laughs) There you go. If they had said Smokey and the Bandit, even that would have had a little higher, a little more gravitas than Cannonball Run. (laughs) Um, interestingly, the artist attached to the book is Mark Brooks, who does a lot of covers for Marvel Comics, but I don't know that he's done a whole lot of interiors lately. Now, maybe the information is only partially correct. Maybe he's just doing the covers for the series and not doing the interiors, but that's what I heard. Anyway, Cannonball Run notwithstanding, do you have any interest in this series? I would. I can't guarantee I'm going to pick it up, but I would because it's kind of a it's a good era to go to read adventures in with Han and Chewie back in the day. And obviously, I think a lot of there's going to be a lot of sentimentality with anything related to Han, especially early days Han now because of everything that happened in Force Awakens. But I would be interested in interested in that because even if you go back to the original Marvel series, that a lot of the to me a lot of the more interesting stories and kind of involved Han. And Chewie, even you know, from issue seven on of the original Marvel series, <laughs> even with like that seven foot green rabbit Jackson, ex- maybe excluded for some people, though I kind of liked him. <laughs> and the Jedi Knight named Don Quixote. Yeah, Don Quixote. Yeah, that was that. That was, but it was a Magnificent Seven ripoff, and I always <laughs> like Magnificent Seven stories, so I kind of made it was kind of cool. <laughs> and and that freckle faced kid who took basically took the place of Luke. <laughs> he looked just like he had the same hat and everything. Okay. Yeah, he did. He probably stole it from him. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, I, I would be interested in reading stuff in that period. Anything, with, especially anything with Han and Chewie. I'm kind of surprised in a way. Maybe they didn't want to go a little bit before that, 
but who knows? They have so many plans for everything. That well, they, uh, they probably don't want to. They probably don't want to do anything that's going to step on the prequel. Thing. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. The Han Solo movie is. They don't want to do anything that's going to throw a wrench in the works for the movie. It makes sense. Han is probably the most popular character, at least for the heroic side. It makes sense that they would do that. I just kind of feel like. The, he's he's also the star of the main Star Wars book. He, you know, him and Luke and Leia, you know, we've seen them. So when they were doing, okay, we're going to do a Princess Leia miniseries. Like, yeah, the, most people don't focus on Princess Leia. Lando's getting his series. Yeah, I, I like the Lando series. Chewbacca got his own. I was like, that's good, even though the series, not so much. I read the first two issues and didn't care for it. But anyway, yeah, so I, I will be interested to hear more about it when it comes out. It's got to be more interesting than the 3PO. How 3PO got his red arms. <laughs> Who cares about 3PO? <laughs> that hasn't even come out yet. They pushed that back. Like That was supposed to come out in January. Yeah, they had some issues. I think there were some, from what I read, there were about some delays in Lucasfilm approving the script and that ended up pushing it to being way, way, way later. But of all characters to get like their solo book, even if it was a one-shot or whatever, 3PO just is It's pretty low on the list of characters. People kind of like... You, you grudgingly accept 3PO, but not that many people are really, really big fans of 3PO. <laughs> they really overestimated how much people would care about his new arm in the movie. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> okay, folks, we are going to take a short break to play a promo, probably for Mark's podcast. Uh, but we'll be back in a minute to talk about Ray's Force Vision from The Force Awakens. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe. The origins of DC as a whole. It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn, and it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day, and the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. All right, welcome back. Mark, I think we both agree that one of the most fascinating parts of The Force Awakens was the vision that Rey has when she first touches the lightsaber in Maz Kanata's castle. It's a very enticing, very enigmatic montage of sounds and images. Some familiar, some new. Now, if you haven't seen The Force Awakens yet, the good news is you only have to wait like two weeks after this episode comes out. (laughs) But be aware, there are spoilers to follow. We're going to dissect the hell out of this part of the film, which is only 50 seconds long. Not the whole film, the part that we're going to be talking about, (laughs) I mean, is only 50 seconds long, and it's jam-packed with stuff, so... Uh, So I will give the general description of what the vision is, and then we will break it down bit by little bit. I've read a lot about the production of this sequence and some of what was intended but perhaps not clearly conveyed, and Mark has read the novelization of the film, which may offer some other context for some of the visuals that we see. So, the vision begins when the surrounding walls of Maz's treasure room are stripped away, replaced by a corridor in Cloud City. Ray walks down the corridor, following the sounds of voices. We hear Yoda's voice, and we hear Luke Skywalker screaming. Then the corridor collapses, throwing Ray to the floor, but she's not on Cloud City anymore. She's in the dirt. She looks up and sees a man in a cloak kneeling down in front of a fire. The man puts a cybernetic hand on the dome of a familiar astromech droid, R2-D2. Then rain pours down on Ray. She looks up over her shoulder to see a mysterious figure stabbed through the back by a red-bladed lightsaber. Ray stands up. She's in a field littered with dead bodies. In the middle of a rainstorm, standing over the bodies are Kylo Ren and about six other figures in black. Kylo Ren seems to notice Ray there and approaches her aggressively. She starts to back away, and then she hears a girl screaming. Ray spins around and sees herself as a child on Jakku. Ankar Plutt restrains her while she screams for someone to come back. 
Grown-up Ray looks to what her younger self is looking at, a ship rising in the distance, heading towards space. The sun behind the ship turns fiery red. The whole sky goes red and then black. Now Ray is standing in a snowy wooded area. Kylo Ren pops out from behind a tree with his lightsaber. Startled, Ray falls backwards, but she doesn't land in the snow. She lands on the cobbled floor of Maz's castle with Obi-Wan whispering to her. And then the vision is over. So all that happens in less than a minute. So it's hard, it's hard to take it all in, especially the first time you see it, even when you know kind of like what's coming. Mm-hmm. It was pretty impossible for me the first time when I, because I knew there was a vision. I knew you know, Obi Wan's voice was supposed to be in there. It's hard to really pay to hear a lot of what's so visually you can pick up on a lot of what you're seeing I think mm-hmm. it's harder to hear it does help because of the fact that the Ewan McGregor part of Obi-Wan's uh, Ray these are your first steps that's, that pretty much you hear the end of that sentence like when she's coming out of her vision so, it's, so that's, that's a little easier to hear because everything you're not being distracted visually as much yeah that's one of my favorite easter eggs in the whole thing is that final line and if anybody isn't sure, the line is, Ray, these are your first steps, spoken by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, what they did that was really cool is mm-hmm. actually two different Obi-Wans saying that line. Uh, as Mark just said, they got Ewan McGregor to come in and read the whole line, but they actually chopped it up so that he's only saying the part, these are your first steps. And the line, Ray, her name, is actually recorded by Alec Guinness, who died 20 years ago. <laughs> But they got a recording of him saying the word afraid from one of the original movies, chopped off the AF part at the beginning and the D at the end, so it just sounds like Ray, and they used that. The other major voice, and it's in the beginning, is Yoda's line. And they've said that like Frank Oz recorded some new dialogue, but they didn't use it. They went back and used lines from the old movies. And it sounds like he's saying... It's energy, like from the line, it's energy surrounds us and binds us, but the last half of that is really kind of cut off by what's going on, because at that point, I think that's when the walls are collapsing. Um, So let's sort of take it, you know, little bit by bit. She touches the lightsaber, the scene changes, and she's in Cloud City. This is a familiar part of the world that we've seen from The Empire Strikes Back. Did the book elaborate on that anymore? The book, right off the bat, you get the, the Vader's breathing. Okay. Yeah, it says a heavy, slow, mechanical breathing filled the room. That so that's even even before they mentioned that you know that it was a sec- they literally say in the book that it was a section of the, of the famed Cloud City. They don't try to you know be cryptic or anything. They want you to know what it is when you're reading the book. Right. But so probably off the bat, probably the only the fact that they start with Vader right off the bat. So I think that's which makes sense because I, one of the ideas they or one of the things they were throwing around originally was to actually show Luke and Vader fighting. Now I think they filmed that. Did they, they really? Did I they think film they, it? I think they got like extras and stand-ins, and it was supposed to be her seeing them fight from a distance. Like she would look down that quarter and see them, like sort of at the gangway or whatever, with Luke kind of hanging off the edge uh, or something like that. Because I think that's why, like within the first wave of action figures, they released a Darth Vader version and a Luke Skywalker in his Bespin clothes action figures. I think that was part of the original idea was that we were going to see that fight again. And the whole reason for this is because a lot of people have been thinking that this vision is sort of going through Ray's history. But really, the first thing we see is this is the last time we saw that lightsaber. This is where the story of the lightsaber picked up. Right. That's where Luke lost it. Yep. And we do hear the screaming. It's the scream that he yells out when Vader uttered the famous line. Was there anything else from the book like about that? No, because I don't think they actually tell you the line. I'm trying to go back. I'm trying to look at this very quickly to see if uh, – I mean she says this, the two figures were locked in combat distance. Someone somewhere, someone spoke her name. And uh, they have some boy appearing at the end of the hallway, and she started towards him. And then, then it kind of like – I think starts changing into the – there's a Ky- the Kylo thing. I think it turns into the Knights of Ren imagery at that point. Okay. Does it give any indication of the identity of the boy that she's following down the hallway? I do not believe so because it transitions right into that. A boy appeared at the end of the hallway. She started towards him, and the world turned inside out, causing her to trip and fall. And then after that, let's see, uh, a lightsaber slammed into the ground, a mist thrust, a statement of power. She didn't know, couldn't tell. A hand appeared to pull it upwards. But I think that's tying into the – 
the Knights of Ren thing because we're getting the battlefield around the firelight and she mentions the seven tall figures dark and foreboding all armed. So I don't really, I don't think you get a clear indication who the boy is supposed to be. Okay. So that's a little bit different than the order of the flashback in the movie because when she falls, when she looks up, before we see the Knights of Ren or anything, we see her see Luke. And that might be when we talked about in our show, I thought Kylo Ren stuff appeared before Luke. And maybe that's why my recollection was thrown off, because in the book, they do show you the first initial imagery of, of Kylo before they get to Luke kneeling and putting his hand on R2. Right. And when she looks up, from what we see, Luke is on his knees and he touches R2. A lot of people interpreted that as this is when Luke is going away and he's passing some information on to R2. What I found, I actually heard one of the production engineers, somebody on the set, actually mentioned that the way it was filmed was Luke is standing at first, and what he's looking at is supposed to be the Jedi Temple that he established. We don't see it, but that's the Jedi Temple, and it's burning, as if Kylo Ren, when he goes bad, he just burns it and kills the people inside. And Luke comes upon this scene, and Luke drops to his knees, sort of in anguish and despair, and he puts his hand on R2, basically to support himself. Um, and to me, that makes perfect sense, because when I saw the movie for the first time, that's how I interpreted it. When you first saw that scene in the trailer, it didn't have to be that way. It could have just been, this is, he could, this could have been when Luke was being reunited with R2. Mm-hmm. And he had that, and, that, and he had that, you know, that tender moment when you reached out for him. But in the vision itself, that's exactly how I saw it. I saw, in my mind's eye, Luke was just finding all the bodies, finding everything was destroyed. He was completely distraught. He was down on his knees. He didn't know what to do. And he just kind of like reached out for R2 for not just physical support, but obviously emotional. Right, right. I wish, and I think it's a little bit vague because we don't, I wish they had actually kept in and we see Luke go to his knees. I wish we could actually like kind of see him fall. I think the gesture and that emotion would have been clearer, a little bit more solidified for people. And then we go to the scene on the battlefield uh, and Kylo Ren kills somebody. Now, as I understand it, like the people that, from what I've heard, again, I haven't read the book, but I've just been reading a bunch of other like interviews and like questions like Pablo Hidalgo and Leland Chi, the guys who kind of run all of the Star Wars continuity stuff through Lucasfilm. They said that those aren't necessarily Jedi, but they're it's like a group of people. Maybe maybe the same people like uh, Lor Santeca, Max von Sydow's character at the beginning. They're like followers of the Church of the Force. And, and this is the Knights of Ren basically just wiping them out or executing them. Because in that whole scene, Kylo Ren's is the only lightsaber that we see. Interesting, like even with the other Knights of Ren, they all appear to be holding weapons that aren't lightsabers. And maybe we'll find out more about that in the next movie. Probably. Um, and then I, th- I think it is. it seems to be a little bit significant that Kylo Ren seems to notice Rey at that moment. Seems to see her in the vision. Or sees something, and he's approaching her. I, I know a lot of people are assuming that that means Ray was a witness, or that she was there at the time, like as a child, and she doesn't remember. What do you think? Not so much in the vision part of the book, but when Kylo's talking to Snoke later on in the book, mm-hmm. there seems to be more of a... The way he's talking to Snoke indicates, because I think he says something along... Maybe literally, but he says something certainly alluding to the fact that, oh, it's her... It's, he seems to know who she is. It's not just that she's strong in the force, but she hasn't been trained. He seems to be able to put the pieces together who she actually is and why she's the way she is. He, she doesn't, he doesn't say who she is, so we don't know who, you know, we don't know what the relevance is. But there seems to be more of a recognition factor in the book that, yeah, that's who I thought you were, something like that. So, um, so if this vision is going chronologically, if we have the moment where Kylo Ren went bad, burned down the temple, killed anybody inside, and Luke finds it, if we assume that that was when Luke went into hiding, then the next scene on the battlefield, I think, would be the Knights of Ren hunting for somebody, maybe killing anybody who supported the Force and the light side and Luke, but maybe killing those people who maybe knew where Luke went, or looking for the last surviving girl or something that looking for Ray, hunting her down. I don't know. I'm of two minds. Part of me doesn't want Ray, her lineage to be anything special. 
part of me just wants her to be some nobody who was abandoned by parents who couldn't raise her, and it turns out that the Force found her and just like lit this spark inside her. But that's not the kind of Star Wars that we're accustomed to. Everybody is something important. So I'm thinking that we will find out that she is some person of destiny that they knew about and kept hidden on purpose. I don't. I will be very mad if she turns out to be Luke's daughter. But. It's possible. It's very possible. (laughs) I, I won't be surprised, but I will be mad because it just sounds like he just gives her up, that he assumes she's better off on some backwoods junkyard planet where any awful thing could happen to her when she's being raised by this monster, that she's safer there than with him in Ireland. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, tangent. Okay, getting back to the vision. Any other details about the sort of massacre or the scene with the, the Knights of Ren? There's not a huge amount in the book. Graphic-wise, there's a little paragraph here that says, Day became night, sky ominous and filled with rain, cold and chilling to the bone. She was standing, she was sitting, she was looking up to see someone, a warrior, take the full force of the lightsaber. He screamed and fell. And then that's when it goes into mentioning the battlefield all around her and the seven tall cloaked figures foreboding all armed and firelight illuminating her, firelight from a distant burning temple. So that goes back to what you said. Okay. And then the seven vanished, and then we get into... uh, we see R2 for the first time, and that's when we see Luke. He falls to his knees, and he reaches out for R2. Yeah, that's. I mean, that certainly seems like this massacre in the book, it's portrayed as that massacre was Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren wiping out everybody at the temple, and then burning it, and then Luke stumbling across this. But the order in the movie is reversed, that. So I don't know if that should shape our effect of the narrative or not. Uh, and then... After that, she spins around. She sees herself on Jakku. She's witnessing somebody fly off, and presumably it's her parents, her family, because she talks about them forever, that she's waiting for them to come back. And she sees that ship flying off as Ankar Plutt is basically holding onto her, restraining her, telling her to be quiet. So we know that somebody intentionally dropped her off with him and went away. And, And at that age, she would recognize her family. She would know who they are. So... I don't know. In the in the book, right after the Luke part, then they then they switch to the stuff on must be on Star Killer Base because they go around her now, barren snowy woods. So there's a little paragraph about that. But then then you get to the part where and this is where it may tie into the boy, and if that's the case, because back in the beginning, before she sees a boy, she says someone somewhere somewhere and spoke her name, which I think I read. But then she goes hello, and the irrationality of the moment, she called hopefully, but receiving no answer, and that's when she saw the boy at the end of the hallway. So then then once we get past the vision, the part on Starkiller Base, then she hears a voice again, and she and she makes it clear it's that voice. And that voice says, stay here. I'll come back for you. And she's like, she's like, where are you? And she's like, started running around, look towards the voice. And, she, and it goes, I'll come back, sweetheart, I promise you. you know, and she cries out again for the voice. Like, I'm, I'm right here. I'm here. So if the voice is tied to the boy, that certainly is going to indicate you know, her father is probably something of relevance. <laughs> right. It certainly sounds like that's the family connection. It could be. I mean, it, if it doesn't give a gender to the voice, but it's certainly the voice of whoever left her there. If it's her mother, father, I'm almost inclined to think that the boy might be Ben Solo. It could be. I thought about that too. It and, could be. And does that suggest that if that's the same figure, if that figure left her there, does that suggest that Ben or Kylo Ren left her there to keep her safe or to keep her away from Snoke? Or if you look at it from the point of view that instead of Ray being Luke's, that Ray is Leia's, then maybe she just has memories of she has vague memories of Kyla, who we know is who is older than she is. Mm-hmm. That maybe that's who the boy is that she, which would tie again into the rest of the vision that she's seeing so much because Kylo's so a huge factor of the vision that maybe she doesn't realize that this is her brother, but it is her brother. Whenever I watched the movie, I always got the sense that there was a father-daughter connection between Han and Rey. But I sort of felt like that was just manufactured, like him seeing her as the child he wished he had because he had lost his son. But again, it, like I didn't get any sort of connection like that between Rey and Leia. And if they, if she turns out to be one of their kids, they're going to have to do a whole lot of explaining of how she ended up there and why... If why if they thought that that was the best thing for her, why put her in the most sort of abject possible? 
poverty with a cruel slave master, why they thought that was a good place for her. Otherwise, if she was kidnapped and stolen away, why weren't they looking for her? Uh, I don't know. Again, it sounds like the orders for the book dream sequence are shifted up a little bit from the order of the movie. And maybe, I mean, I'm assuming that, who wrote the book? Was it Alan Dean Foster? Yes. Okay. So he got an early script version that he would have been writing from, because it would have taken him a couple of months to write it while they're still in production. And the vision was probably cobbled together pretty late towards the end. So, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe there's a distinct purpose to the order of these things, or maybe not. But uh, last episode, when I had Aaron Bias on, he saw the ship flying off into space with her looking at the ship, and then the sky goes red. He interpreted that as meaning the ship blew up, and that she actually witnessed the death of her parents, but had sort of blocked that out. It's a good theory, but I don't think that's what it is. I, I think agree. I think really she's just seeing the light of the Star Killer base as sort of foretelling what her future will be. Like, up until this point, she's seen visions of the past, and now we're getting this glimpse of the future with the Starkiller base, the red fire, and then that's when it goes to she's in the woods in the snow on that base with Kylo Ren coming after her with a lightsaber. Yeah, I don't, I don't think her parents are dead unless, unless her lineage completely has nothing to do with Luke and Leia, and in that case, obviously, it's always... Then it's always possible that, that her parents died, but... Uh, and then we have to – if she is like the, either the, the cousin or the sister of Kylo, at least that would make sense why he would kind of know who she is. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Um, I mean you could come up with a scenario in which you know, once Kylo turned bad that – and I've talked and I, I think I mentioned this before, probably when we weren't recording. <laughs> that uh, – <laughs> oops, <laughs> got to get that recorder on at all, all times unless you're like <laughs> Hillary Clinton or somebody. <laughs> that, uh, that that's possible is that – Leia could have wanted to hide the daughter because maybe maybe Leia was pregnant when Han and Leia decided to go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. Depending how long Han's been out of the picture, because because as the book also mentions, one of the reasons why Kylo why Han wants Kylo to take his helmet off is not just for the effect of looking at somebody eye to eyes because he's never seen his son as an adult before. He's never seen him as a man. Right, right. So Kylo's obviously been bad for a serious, a decent period of time, and he's been away from them for a decent period of time. So maybe Leia potentially was pregnant, and Han didn't know it when Han cut out of town, and Leia just didn't bother telling him. So maybe Han literally has, would have no way of knowing that there's a connection between him and Rey, but Leia just hid kind of following in the tradition of her own father <laughs> decided to t- t- hiding hiding the hiding the offspring that could potentially be really important to the future of the galaxy and just could be why uh max van Cito was kind of like within reach basically to kind of like oversee what was going on even though he he was thinking away well no in a way it would make sense if you're trying to keep her out of the way you probably wouldn't turn her over to his character then because that might be too obvious even, well, even though they're kind of in, in, in West Bum, you know what, of the, of the right. galaxy. But still, I mean, you would still want to keep her even more off the beaten paths. But it's it's just an idea that I had that could that could be at least plausible because, you know, she, it certainly appears that he's older than she is. Mm-hmm. So it could be – it doesn't have to be a huge age difference but enough of an age difference where – and so. Yeah, I don't believe that they're twins. My only concern with the theory, and it's it's some it's very similar to something that I had like before the movie came out. Like I think one of my speculations was that I thought Kylo Ren would have been kidnapped as a child, and to keep the other one safe, that Han would have taken Baby Ray away from them to kind of keep her safe, and that was ultimately what divided him and Leia. Why they broke up was because Han took the the other child away. Now. My issue with that now is the timeline, because if Leia got pregnant with Rey and Han didn't know about it, Rey is like 19 years old, and that means that Han and her have been separated for about 20 years. I don't think it's been that long. That is true. That's, that's I, the I don't think they've been apart that long. I think it's been half that time, if that. So... I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. They set up a lot to suggest that Ray and Kylo Ren would be brother and sister. That was my first assumption. Uh, and part of that is just because of the familiarity with the expanded universe and and thinking of the twins, Jason and Jaina Solo. But the movie treats the Force differently than what we're used to. 
And now part of that is just our understanding from more of the expanded universe and things like that. Because if they were related, we would think that they would be able to feel each other right away and that they would be able to sense that in each other. But would they? Luke, he, he, might, he might be able to. She probably she probably wouldn't be able to pick it up. But then again, you, they do kind of play fast and loose with you know her seemingly innate ability to just be able to kind of like master some just general force skills right off the bat, which really seems kind of out of the blue in a way. And part of me, part of me is okay. Like I didn't have a problem with the fact that she was learning these things so quickly because I have seen Luke's journey to becoming a Jedi. It was awesome. I loved it, but it took three movies, and I don't want to take three movies to see her going on the <laughs> same journey. I know how it works. Get to the point already. So for that purpose, for the sake of expediency, I was fine with her being stronger naturally than really any other Jedi that we've seen at that point in her life. It was just like turning on a light switch. Okay, she's Force-sensitive. Now she gets it. But there are still things where... I just don't know. And that does that, again, suggest that she is somebody more powerful, or is it just a random occurrence? I don't know. What is the big picture? What were we supposed to get from this Force vision? Because I feel like, in terms of backstory, we're working really hard to make connections of the history of these characters. All of these things we're bringing up, they're really more questions that we have that might be explained in other movies. If it's important that, you know, Luke went down on his knees and saw the burning of the temple, if that's not explained outright in the next movie, then this movie failed to convey what exactly is going on in that vision. If that's important. No, I know exactly what I know exactly what you're saying. And part of the way they did it obviously is cuz they know they know how people like us are going to dissect everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it and it is JJ, so you never know how much of it's being thrown out there because, you know, just not necessarily as a red herring, but just to make people maybe overthink something, but what certainly seems to be relatively clear is that her power maybe her power set is different from a lot of other people. Because mm-hmm. she does have that rare ability to not only to be able to hold, you know, have the object, sense the object's history, its past, you know, with people who it belonged to before, and also be able to see the future too. So she's she can see everything. So she sees not. So she can. That's not you know that's a relatively unique talent, not unheard of, but it's not you know super common. So you know her force set, her force abilities, her raw talent might be greater than. But then again, that's many would say that also points to she must have an origin, which would explain this. <laughs> Maybe not, but you would think it kind of would. Well, again, she could not have been able to witness the beginning of this vision with the duel between Vader and Luke. Correct. That part of the vision has to come from the lightsaber itself. The lightsaber is telling you, telling her its journey. This is the last time we saw that. And it's as much for the audience to say, hey, remember, this is the same thing. Which, again, they didn't really do that. They didn't really make that connection because we didn't see the fight. But yeah, they, they should have put that in. That would have been really cool. Right. So was the lightsaber present at some of the other things? Was the lightsaber there at the burning of the temple? Or was Rey witnessing that as a child and she forgot... Or are we just, or does it not matter? Is it just something, an important event in the life of the Force that it needed to convey? It's, it's interesting about the lightsaber because you could make the case that, especially even though it was other than just his ego and his, and his desire to be Vader, that maybe when Kylo was referencing the fact that that belongs to me or when he does that, that maybe that again is, maybe that does imply that at one point maybe he did have a. Uh, Depend. Well, see, we don't know. If the problem is we don't know what the we don't know if the saber's really been in. Obviously, Luke hasn't had the saber in a long time, because we don't know. So we as we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> we don't. So we don't really technically know if we assume Luke has has never seen the saber again since Bespin. But we really don't know that because it's, because she just pulls it out of the chest and who knows how long it's been there. Yeah, it's certain. I, so I, it's, again, yeah, there's there's 32 years worth of backstory that we don't have yeah. a clue what was going on. I'm inclined to believe that the, the lightsaber never found its way back to Luke until the end of this movie. Me too. But that's a guess, really. One of the other speculations that I had early on, and this was just me thinking that I was oh so clever and a lot of other people <laughs> came up with it, was this well, I'm idea, sure you were. Yeah, this notion that maybe she, maybe Ray 
is Obi-Wan Kenobi's granddaughter. That, you know, at some point while he was hiding out on Tatooine watching Luke, he shacked up with B. Arthur from the Holiday <laughs> Special. Oh, oh, anybody but B. Arthur, come on. <laughs> She's the only other woman in the planet. Um, they had kids or something, and somehow it trickled down, because I thought that would be interesting to see the grandson of Anakin Skywalker and the granddaughter of Obi-Wan Kenobi coming together in another battle. And it's also the fact that Obi-Wan had that lightsaber in his possession for about 20 years. Right. Um, so I just thought that would be kind of an interesting connection. And it's also interesting that following that train of thought, that there isn't anything in the vision other than hearing his voice, but you also hear Yoda's voice, mm-hmm. that there's nothing in the vision that directly ties Obi-Wan into it. So like if you saw some vi- – even if you saw like a vision on Tatooine or something or something or, or his hut or something, mm-hmm. but you didn't. So again, so that also makes it seem like it's – the key part of the saber has to do with the sky is the skywalker aspect of it right we needed to hear his voice because his was the only voice that we could hear because we don't know any other jedi ghosts uh, I, I mean unless they're bringing back mace windu in the new ones <laughs> as a force ghost which yeah realistically based on everything we've learned from well not we, we kind of got a half-assed version in the prequels because they blew opportunities to have Qui-Gon even as a voice in the, in, in the movies. But based on the Clone Wars show, what we've learned now since, which, which kind of just makes the ending of Jedi more ridiculous, actually, that not every Jedi who dies becomes one with the Force. You have to learn this ability. You have to study this ability. You have to do some serious training before you die in order to do this, to maintain your full self. Qui-Gon was starting down that road. He hadn't finished it, which is why Qui-Gon's just a voice. <laughs> but Obi-Wan and Yoda are the only two that we know of who who ever really finished it. So those are the Jedi spirits that should be coming back either whenever they need them to, they technically could come back. Now, what's interesting about that, and going back to your... It would be cool just from a cyclical point of view that Obi that Luke is training Obi Wan's relative like Obi Wan trained him, mm-hmm. and it also kind of like some people said, well maybe she's Luke's daughter but Obi Wan's granddaughter, which might explain why she's so freaking powerful. <laughs> you know, if, if Luke had basically hooked up with Obi Wan's daughter somehow, and then they had the granddaughter, and then that's why she'd be like super forced. Whoa! Um, I did not think about that. That would be that could explain why she's super forced because obviously she couldn't be Obi Wan's daughter because she's way too young, but she could be Obi Wan's granddaughter, and of course a lot of people like to. Po- uh, it's funny because I, I know we talked about this, and sometimes and I was reading something today which brought it to mind because of that article that with Mark Hamill's comments about you know basically saying. Luke is gay if you think he's gay. Right, to that right, effect. right. I heard that. Yeah, yeah. And, and people going back to the well going, regardless about any outrage about the subject or not, <laughs> it's just the fact, oh, Jedi can't do that. They're supposed to be celibate. They don't have to be celibate. We've, I don't think we've ever seen and read anything that says that's part of the Jedi code. What's supposed to be in the Jedi code is you're supposed to not have attachment. It doesn't say you can't have a friend with benefits. It just says you can't have, you can't have a relationship or you shouldn't be having a relationship like Anakin and Padme did because we had firsthand evidence of why this is a bad thing because it completely screws up what your allegiance is. It makes, it makes you – it complicates things that don't need to be complicated. But I don't believe it ever set – there's anything that we've ever seen written that says you can't have sex. You have to take a vow of celibacy to become a Jedi. You're just not supposed – because by that sense, you're just not supposed to have strong attachments. It's not like you can't have a friend either. You just can't have somebody who's, who your relationship with is so strong that it just screws up your sense of priorities. I think we all know that it's possible to have sex with somebody that we're not emotionally attached to. <laughs> and like you said, oh, first of all, I mean, this would have happened with Obi-Wan, we assume, after the Jedi have fallen, as the Empire has risen, and there's like two friggin' Jedi left in the universe, so... It, Besides the oh, for Luke the rules don't apply. The, the old rules don't apply. The old rules don't have to apply to, for Obi Wan anyway. <laughs> I mean, he's sitting on Tal. He's sitting in a hut. Who's going to tell on him? Who's going to tell on him? That's right. Yoda, Yoda will pop in. <laughs> wrong you were doing. <laughs> like, Damn. See you. I do. <laughs> that's just wrong, Master Yoda. That's just so wrong. <laughs> oh man, I. I, I I never even entertained the thought of putting them together, that Obi-Wan did have a daughter, and that's who Luke hooked up with, and that Rey is the progeny of both of those lineages. My mind, like, Alderaan blew right there. Just <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> yeah. Whew. That's something to chew on. So. 
I don't know if I buy it. I'm just saying I, I know I know some people have speculated on that. And I guess if you're trying to come up with a reason why she's so intuitive about everything, mm-hmm. so you're combining Kenobi DNA with Skywalker DNA and those metachlorians are going off to chart all over again. <laughs> if you want to go down that road, which I'm sure we don't. <laughs> so many people mention the metachlorians word on the show, and I just I come so close to pushing the hang-up button. <laughs> You know what's really cool and a quick aside about this about the book in the beginning of the, the like before you even get into the book and I think before you get even into the opening crawl in the book they they go back to the journal of the wills. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool just going back to that because I don't think we I don't remember that being quoted in anything since like the original Star Wars novel. Right? Yeah, that's never been referenced in anything official like the movies. I don't think that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, well, it, it was kind of. I thought it was it was it was pretty interesting do you want to i don't have to if you don't want me to it's really quick it's like oh yeah yeah if you've got the yeah yeah, i I just just went back to the beginning it's like first comes the day then comes the night after the darkness shines through the light the difference they say is only made right by the resolving of gray through refined jedi sight and that was from the journal of the wills that sounds a whole lot like the Green Lantern. Lantern Oath. Oath. I, mean, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I was like, that's why, you want, "That's why you wanted to read it." That sounds Not just really, like the Lantern. Oath. Oath. I actually, when I went back to the book when I uh, when I reopened it, since Kindle and their infinite wisdom changed the whole interface now on their <laughs> system, so it took me a while to get back to where I wanted. So I went back to actually the beginning of the book before I went through chapters, and I almost forgot that they quoted the Journal of the Worlds, but. Um, all right. Do you have any sort of final thoughts or impressions on the Force Vision? As far as interpretations, I don't know if there's anything more that I have to offer. I do – obviously, we know Ray. I mean it's pretty clear that Ray's going to be trained or else they're throwing the ultimate red herring on everybody. <laughs> These are your first steps. Not. <laughs> the, the first Wrong. of like a thou- – the next thousand steps are yeah, all this, up the side of a mountain. This is a recording. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm really interested in seeing obviously the first interaction between Luke and – and Ray coming after this, and just Luke's reaction to seeing his saber for the first time. I don't know. I don't know if there's more in the. I think we really. It's hard to really pick apart the vision and know other than the basic ways. I think we have until basically the next movie comes out because we don't. There's there's layers in here we are not going to understand until we find out a little bit more of. Yeah, if, if Luke knows who she is, if Luke has any idea who she is, you know, if Luke just picks up on, oh, you were with like Han. But, like I'm kind of curious. Like the first thing he would say to her, like he's gonna ask, like, "Where did you get that for the lightsaber?" or something along the lines that you were with Han when he died. You know, something mm-hmm. like like because like, there's two different ways, two, two different tracks you could, you could go down. So I don't know. I I'm curious. I'm very interested in finding out more about the vision. And to me, it was it definitely was. I think it was the highlight of the movie. <laughs> yeah, one of the highlights. I, but it's the part that sticks with me because there's so much there to I think to uh, dissect. There's a great meme of Ray holding the lightsaber out to Luke in the final shot, and it's a close-up of Luke's face, and like the text says, there was a hand attached. Did you <laughs> yes, bring the I hand? <laughs> hey, I, I, I can only work with what I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, my overall impression was I loved the visual. I, and you're right, it was an overwhelming thing. You, uh, it took me a lot of reviewings to kind of get everything that I was seeing and everything that I was hearing, and I'm definitely going to spend some time analyzing it again when I see the movie in April. I have to imagine that the sequences that we see are deliberately planted to foreshadow parts of the character's history that need to be further explored, because they're so... They're so small. We're not given full scenes. We're just given these little slivers that give us a sense of what's going on, but it's not clear enough to really make it coherent yet. And I'm just expecting that we will find out what this means. I think I think Luke is going to give us some of this background. I hope it's not just an exposition dump with him just monologuing. I hope they find ways of making it visually creative and cool, like through force visions and things like that. But... I have a feeling this was just a taste of what we're going to see in the next one and that we will get some of those scenes played out and really get that whole story explained. So, And I want Obi-Wan to be in Episode 8. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping we actually get some Jedi ghosts in Episode 8. <laughs> oh, like backseat driving as Luke is trying to train him. 
I, I, that's funny, but that's not where I was going with it. That'd be more Yoda. Yoda would probably be more the nitpicker. <laughs> he literally could be on his back. <laughs> back. I thought we gave this up. <laughs> no, I, I think it would be cool for to see Obi-Wan and Pewter Ray because you could definitely get away with him looking more like Ewan McGregor and less like the conflict of having him old like Alec Guinness if he's mm-hmm. appearing to Ray. Because mm-hmm. Ray would have no pre- natural... Re- you know, memory or preference right. of what Obi Wan would look like, so he could just appear as he want, as he saw himself, and there wouldn't be much of a conflict there. Right. I mean, you could still make him look older if you wanted to. You know, you have plenty of options. That's why, again, if they don't do something with you and McGregor like in a spinoff movie, it'd be such an incredible waste. <laughs> Since he was already playing older than he was when he did, you know, Sith. You know, he was already playing Obi Wan as an older character than you know you and McGregor was. So you have plenty of time to do a, a movie that would take place between uh, three and four with you and McGregor, and you wouldn't have to worry about. You know, a, the age factor being a problem, but I just I would like to see him show up. Not just you know, I'm glad that they had the voice in, kind of even though he wasn't a, he wasn't in there visually. At least you have the fact that you have his voice, so you kind of have Obi Wan still like in, in every movie. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Well, if he can appear as a ghost in whatever form he wants, I think he should go back to the way he looked in Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> Just not train spotting, right? <laughs> that was that's the next one. I'm going to be a skinny ass heroin junkie. This is the Obi. This is the Obi one. You don't want to. You don't want to. These are Obi one the early years. <laughs> oh, the, talk about the, the wrong side of the tracks, but um, bum. Before Qui Gon pulled him out of the gutter. <laughs> that's right. That's when he was so so depressed that no one was going to take him as a Padawan. He just started. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our discussion about Ray's vision and <laughs> so many other things that we went out into. Uh, but before you go, Mark, it's time for you to answer the galactic questionnaire for every guest on Give Me Those Star Wars. Uh-oh. Do I have to sing Bill Murray or no? <laughs> no, no, not that much. I wouldn't subject anybody else to that. <laughs> All right. Question one. Would you rather drive Luke Skywalker's land speeder from Star Wars A New Hope or Rey's speeder from The Force Awakens? I probably would say Luke's land speeder because it looks a little more comfortable. It's two seater, yeah. Yeah, plus you're actually, it's just, yeah, you're not as out in the elements quite as much as Rey's happens to be. <laughs> All right. Question two Classic Imperial Stormtrooper or First Order Stormtrooper? Mmm, that's a good question. I'm going to say First Order because I do think their helmets look a little cooler. I think the armor looks a little cooler. And they seem to be better shots anyway. <laughs> Even though the Stormtroopers are really not as bad shots as everybody makes them out to be, but I felt I had to re- reference that. Since that's what everybody thinks when they see Stormtroopers. <laughs> Poor Django. That all went so wrong. <laughs> all right, question three. Would you rather have a lightsaber or Boba Fett's jetpack? Oh, a lightsaber, easy. All right. Question four, would you rather live on Tatooine or Dagobah? I'm probably going to say Tatooine because at least there are some cities on Tatooine. <laughs> and and, the, and there's some house, there's, there are some dwellings that actually have a lot, some forms of electricity and things like that, it would appear. <laughs> yeah, I would probably have to pick Tatooine. All right. Question five, not counting Boba Fett, who is the coolest bounty hunter introduced in The Empire Strikes Back? I'm going to say Bosk because I've always liked Bosk. All right. Question six, would you rather go on a date with Princess Leia or Carrie Fisher? Princess Leia. Carrie Fisher has, she's had too too tough a life. (laughs) All right, and finally, if you had the force, would you be pulled to the light side or the dark side? I want to say the light. I do have a temper, but I'm still going to say the light. I might be straddling the line. But I think I, I think I would be able to step back enough. I'd be I'd be able to step back, which is you know the ultimate test of the Jedi, which you know, which which Anakin was piss poor at. But I think I could do a better job. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark, thank you very much for being on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Where can people find you online or on other podcasts if they want to hear you? First and foremost, you can find me on the Lantern Cast, and yeah, Chad's there too. But still. <laughs> You can find us on the LanternCast. So LanternCast.com is the website. Uh, LanternCast at gmail.com is the easiest way to email us. We're also on Facebook. You can use hashtag GLCast to find us there. Our episodes are on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, Mark Marble. So we pretty much, you pretty much can find us there. Uh, and that's probably the easiest way right now. All right, cool. Thank you very much one more time for being on the show. 
Force Awakens is the movie event of a generation. It's history-making. A stunning piece of entertainment. And this April, when you bring it home, there's even more. Energy and action! Including a full-length documentary. Han and Chewie entering the Falcon. Absolutely amazing. You know, look what we get to do. And exclusive deleted scenes. Ship's clear. Han Solo. Come on, baby, don't let me down. Star Wars The Force Awakens on digital April 1st and Blu-ray April 5th. On the last episode, Aaron Bias and I shared our favorite new characters introduced in The Force Awakens. That generated some really good comments on the Fire & Water website, with some listeners sharing their own favorites. A lot of people agreed that General Hux was the weakest, although that wasn't totally unanimous. Nathaniel Wayne from Council of Geeks said, For me, Hux was a perfect microcosm for how the First Order was different from the Empire. It was built on fanaticism and idolatry of the Empire. It's the radicalized version of the Empire that remains when whatever could have been considered to be its moderate elements have either fallen away or opted to become the Republic. And I thought Hux as a character and performance communicated all of that very well. Well, that's a good observation, Nathaniel, and it paints the First Order as the sort of tea party of the galaxy far, far away. Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians said that he liked Hux only a little bit more than most people did, but he was mostly disappointed with Supreme Leader Snoke. And it's not just the CGI being the weakest, Mike said. It's that the Empire was run by a robed Force user with a monster face, and now the First Order is being run by... a robed Force user with a monster face. I wish that Snoke and Hux could have been merged into a single character. One of the best things about Grand Admiral Thrawn was that he was a departure from the villains that came before him. He was closer to Tarkin. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast also pointed out how much Hux pales in comparison to Grand Moff Tarkin. I'm a huge fan of Peter Cushing, Chris said, so anyone is going to have a hard time living up to Tarkin. But I do think this may have been one of the only casting misfires in the whole film. I don't know the actor beyond this, so I don't mean to single him out. Maybe the type of actor was wrong. Maybe an older character who could have been an Imperial officer in the past would have given us a through point in the story and a more direct connection to the Empire, and perhaps even a better reason for trying the Death Star. Again. So here's the thing. My feelings on General Hux have changed a little since my conversation with Aaron. Actually, through my conversation with Aaron. I still don't like Hux. I hate the performance, but I think that I and a lot of fans have fostered an unfair comparison on him. I assumed he was going to be the Grand Moff Tarkin of this film. I called him as such. He's the highest-ranking military man we see, and he's in charge of the planet-killing superweapon. But something I brought up last episode is Grand Moff Tarkin was never in the same scene as the Emperor. We never saw that interaction. We never saw Tarkin cowed or placating or subservient to anybody. And that makes him that much better in our memory. But Hux is not in the same position. We see him acting weaselly, no pun intended. We see him trying to impress his boss. We see him acting like a petulant rival to Kylo Ren. So I think we have to stop comparing General Hux to Grand Moff Tarkin and take him for what he really is, a glorified Admiral Ozzel. Getting back to the feedback, Nathaniel shared his top five list. He had Poe Dameron at number one, Kylo Ren at number two, BB-8 at number three, Rey at number four, and Finn at number five. Same five characters that Eren had, I think, just in a different order. Mike Gillis and Siskoid both said Kylo Ren was their favorite character. Siskoid, of course, is from the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast. He said his favorite marginal character was the Stormtrooper played by Daniel Craig. He's hilarious, certainly up there with the Stormtroopers talking about gas or whatever on the Death Star in Episode 4. That is great, and I mentioned that I bought a First Order Stormtrooper action figure, and I'm going to start referring to it as the Daniel Craig variant. The Irredeemable Shag from the Fire and Water podcast said he actually liked the Finn-Poe bromance better than either individual character. 
And I think I actually agree with that. I mean, I had Finn as my number five and Poe would be six. I think I liked the two of them together, their friendship in those scenes, better than them individually. It's a good point. But then Shag went and spoiled that moment by saying something totally stupid. He posited the idea that when Poe was captured, he was brainwashed and is now a First Order sleeper agent. Yeah, that's ignoring the whole fact that Poe blew up the Starkiller base by himself. As for some general comments, Rob Kelly from the Film and Water podcast said, Aaron was a great guest. I like the idea of him keeping his stoned classmates from killing themselves. Good training for the 15 children he and his wife would eventually have. On the Fire and Water Facebook post for last episode, Kyle Benning from King Size Comics Giant Size Fun podcast said, Great episode. I think Aaron Bias is much more articulate than I am, but is it just me or do our voices sound similar? I don't know, I think this is a little passive aggressiveness on Kyle's part. <laughs> we get it, you think you could do a better job on the show than Aaron. Message received, you'll be on a future episode, Kyle. Whatever. And finally, over on Twitter, Paul Hicks from Waiting for Doom said, The podcast promo for Give Me Those Star Wars is one of my favoritest things right now. Well, you're welcome. That is all for this episode. Once again, I want to thank everyone who supports this show on social media. I also want to thank Mark Marble for being my guest on this episode. If you have a similar or opposing theory on some aspect of Ray's Force Vision or her identity, you know, share it with the classroom. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this podcast can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01, or you can send me an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.